0: New Media Comedy Worldwide Studios. New Media Comedy Worldwide presents Comedy Legacy Series with Jim Mandrinos. And now, your host, Jim Mandrinos.
1: Hello everybody, this is Jim Mandrinos. Welcome back to the Comedy Legacy Series. We have got a fantastic guest in store for you today. One of the more politically active, one of the more intellectual comedians out there. Uh, A gentleman who just takes and embraces new technology, and somebody that we can all serve to learn so much from. Um, Sit back, relax, and let's spend this next hour getting to know Mr. Ted Alexandro. All right, so this is uh, really exciting for me because we're bringing in somebody who is one of the comics on my top 10 of most respected, both on and off stage. There's a whole lot of comics that make the top 10 on stage, a whole lot that make the top 10 off stage, but. The make it on both is amazing. Uh, And in an odd way, you're also one of the people who inspired me to do this podcast, Mr. Ted Alexandra. Thanks for coming in, Ted.
0: appreciate it, it, man.
1: Um, And I want to talk about that to start, because you've been very vocal in the community of comedians and helping out fellow comedians, you know, right down to the Comedy Coalition when you were involved in that. But you, you did something that changed the way I looked at comedy um, way back. I don't know if you'll remember this, but when Greg Giraldo passed, you wrote, um, it was a Facebook post uh, talking about what he meant to you and uh, about the passing of uh, a maestro. And it got me thinking from reading that how sad it was for comics that weren't going to get to learn from those comics that pass on you know and then recently when we lost William and Angelo and Vic back to back to back that came home and I you know it inspired me to do something about it so you changed the way I looked at losing somebody and made it less personal and more communal for me so thank you but I wanted to talk to you thank you well, I wanted to talk to you about your dedication to the community, because you've always treated co- comedy and, and you and I have disagreed on things in the past as well. But you've always treated the comedy community with respect and you've always tried to strive to make it better as a community. Why do you think it's important for comics to work together to do that?
0: Well, I think, you know, over the course of our careers, we spend so much time with one another and we spend so much time in the workplace, various workplaces, but it's kind of a fluid totality of, you know, of what we do, um, that those relationships become, uh, you know, a brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, kind of familial in, in nature. So I've, I've always been of the mindset that if uh, something is problematic or something doesn't sit well with me, whether it's in family friendships, you know, one way that I can communicate that you matter to me, that I value my relationship with you is to bring up something uh, that's bothering me. So, you know, whether that was with the coalition or various things throughout the course of my career. Um, and I think it's a muscle that you develop too, you know, cause it's not always easy to do, but um, I think hopefully people receive it in in the spirit that it's intended, which is to say, I think we can do better. I think there are, you know, I'm having a problem with this specific area and I would like to talk about it with you.
1: Mm-hmm. I One of the things I love it, and I wanna talk about the community aspect with you, I wanna talk about activism with you because you're very active as well in comedy and you blend the two of them together. But I want to start with where it all starts, and that's craft. Because you write more than most comics ever dream about writing. You're you're always working on your stuff. Can you talk us through your process of how you develop your material? Well, I would say that,
0: you know, again, over the course of a career, and, you know, I've been doing this uh, 27, 28 years now, uh, that morphs over time. But what I would say for me it was rooted in um, the discipline of sitting down to write. Um, so, you know, I, I tell young comics or, or anyone who asks really, and I also remind myself of this, that when you're writing, it's important to shut off that part of the brain that is uh, critical, uh, you know, that hypercritical type of uh, voice that can uh you know, derail you from, from actually completing what you set out to do. Uh, So in the beginning of any endeavor, uh, I think it's really important to be kind to yourself, to be gentle, to be supportive of yourself uh, and give yourself um, a period of time where you're figuring it out, you know, and that's, that's really ongoing, but especially in the beginning uh, I think it's important to remind yourself that you are to be commended and applauded even for starting the journey Uh, so but to your question specifically about writing i would sit down and write in the beginning you know uh, a couple hours a day um not every day of the week because i was also teaching i was doing you know going to school i was doing other things uh but i tried to do that multiple times a week you know maybe three or four Uh, And again, don't edit it, don't criticize, just get it in your notebook, get it on your laptop, and then you can go back and start to look. And, you know, most of it is not going to be funny, most of it's not going to make the act, but what you're really doing is familiarizing yourself with the way your brain works, you're familiarizing yourself with your technique, your voice, Uh, so that's an ongoing process, but it's important to, to approach that in a disciplined manner.
1: Now, discipline is a place where you and I uh, agree, you know, wholeheartedly. Um, One thing that you do so much better than I could ever hope to do is you have a musicality to your act. You you have an almost um, symphonic structure to when I watch you do long sets. You're one of the comics that I love watching do a long set because you're not just charging for that crescendo. You're taking the audience on a journey, which almost feels like you know, classical music or jazz in terms of the construction. How much attention do you pay towards that construction? Or is that something that just developed in the course of your style?
0: I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, I am aware of it. Uh, One thing that I like to do, uh, you know, and I started to try to do early on, is examine... Uh, everything that you do, and again, I'll tell newer comics this, examine everything that you do, examine the way you walk up on stage, examine the way you take the mic out of the stand, examine the first thing that you say, uh, is it always the same, you know, like examine, everything should really be over time again, you know, because in the beginning, you're just like trying not to, uh, to freak out up there. Yeah. Uh, but over time, it should really be more of an examined approach to, claiming the space, you know, and that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Like, I wanted to kind of claim the space in a way that let, you know, you're also communicating to the audience that I am comfortable. I'm in control here. I know what I'm doing. Uh, And there's a lot of ways to convey that. Um, So for me, I think part of it was my nature. Part of it was the comedians that I kind of gravitated towards, their energy, um, So I think for me, it it was not so much about volume and, uh, you know, over time. In the beginning, I was probably a a little bit more, uh, I'm still physical, kind of uh, in, I pick my spots to be physical. But in the beginning, I think I was using physicality, um, you know, in in ways to kind of compensate for my lack of confidence uh, in in the beginning. Um, So, yeah, all of that, you know, over time. Uh, you know, to your question about musicality, I, I studied music in college, I studied jazz piano, so I think uh, I was informed by a lot of, you know, the jazz approach, not that that's one thing, but, um, you know, I would say if, if anything, it's what that reinforced for me is having the foundation of uh, all of the basics and having, you know, knowing all of the, um, you know, making sure that you're rooted in uh, the simple kind of things that, that then you can, over time, maybe uh, do an offshoot and meander. And I, I never used to do that in the beginning on stage. I was very much scripted and written and stick to the, you know, the beats, mm-hmm. but over time, that improvisational thing would come in where I could feel my mind wandering on stage. And I don't mean wandering in a bored way. I mean, wandering like a thought would come and, I, and I, I learned to follow that, like, oh, you know, let's see, uh, you know, this is interesting. And, and you start to honor that. Uh, and that, again, comes with being comfortable on stage.
1: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the physicality because you have one of my favorite bits. And, and like with all comics, our favorite bits of another comic probably isn't your, your big closer. But, you know, my favorite bit of yours is watching you do the gym bit where you're talking about the imaginary jump rope. And every time you do that, I'm standing at the back of Gotham laughing as hard as humanly possible because not just the bit itself, which is on its face funny, but the incredulous looks you get from the audience as they're trying to put it together. But what I love most about that bit is your commitment to the physicality of it. And it's just so subtly the way you're turning your wrists as you're doing the imaginary jump rope. How much of that is scripted and how much of that is just evolution?
0: Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I think some of it is kind of inherent to the way that you use your body, the way that you, you know, I, I had done a lot of acting in high school and college. So I was used to being on stage, I was used to uh, acting. So I think I brought that skill set to stand up when I started. Um, but I think, again, like the comics that I really liked uh, had a silliness and an ease, uh, you know, because when you have physicality or, or even a subtle facial expression, you can add layers to a joke. Uh, so I think that was something, you know, I had pretty early on that I think was just part of the way that I uh, communicate on stage. Uh, so, yeah, like that that kind of uh, slow motion, you know, and then the, the best thing... Well, I don't want to say the best, but a great thing in any joke is when you're getting laughs and you're not saying anything. Yeah. So, you know, like if I'm acting out like jumping rope and doing this, like, you know, and I'm crossing over and and, and then I'm like waving it above my head and, and the crowd's laughing. And, uh, you know, there, there's a real joy to that, that, you know, they're, they're taking the ride with you. And, um, yeah, so I've always been kind of aware that, you can add layers without saying anything.
1: Now, you talked about your influences, and everyone kind of studies people when they're getting set to start. Um, And I know for me, you know, a little bit older than you, so I studied people like Freddie Prinze and Robert Klein. That was the class that that I learned from. Who were the comics before you got into this that inspired you to want to give this a shot?
0: Well, I would say, you know, from a young age... Uh, My parents had albums like George Carlin, Class Clown, uh, Flip Wilson, The Devil Made Me Do It, um, you know, uh, Cosby's early albums, you know, so like I spent a lot of time listening to those uh, growing up. But then, you know, like when I was in high school, uh, the Eddie Murphy phenomenon hit and he was just like a rock star. You know, we hadn't really seen anything like that before. Uh, his combination of stand-up and uh, SNL, obviously, and then movies. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of cool to be, um, you know, like in my adolescence, coming of age, when, when Eddie Murphy was such a, a phenomenon. So I think that made an impact, too, that stand-up was cool. Um, Steve Martin, too, uh, was yeah. another guy in my, like, elementary school years that, like, People were, you know, like, it was like that currency of like trading trading the bits with friends who knew the album or, you know, the kids. It was kind of like a, a circle of friends who who knew uh, the comedy album. Uh, then I, as I got older, you know, uh, guys like Stephen Wright, um, Seinfeld, as his show became a ph- phenomenon and, and every episode began and, and ended with a stand-up set. Uh, so I found myself... Like stud- studying these people, um, I would go to. I mean, I'm sure you remember the Museum of Television and Radio. Oh yeah. Like pre-YouTube, you know, uh, we would go there and watch. Uh, you could, I think, you could take out like three at a time. Yep. And I would watch like you know Richard Pryor's first uh, first set on the Tonight Show or mm-hmm. Steve Allen or whatever it was. Uh, and I really, um, yeah, I made it a point to like study those people, you know, like you. I mean, I I love stand-up. And uh, one thing, that I I tell this to to comics as well, um, I would watch it uh, on mute, you know, kind of speaking Mm. what you were talking about earlier. Uh, Because when you watch someone on mute, you're really watching the way they comport themselves, you're watching their face, you're watching where they pause, uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's like a it's a good uh, learning tool to watch, uh, you know, if it's an hour special or whatever, obviously, you know, sections of it. But watch watch the way people because we're communicating the whole time. You know, we're communicating in the silences. We're communicating when we're speaking. So uh, I think that's a that, that was a helpful tool for me to watch. You know, obviously I would watch it first with the audio, but watch it also on mute and, uh, and take notes and kind of see, uh, you know, you, things will jump out to you that maybe would not uh, when it's paired with the audio.
1: Now, carrying on that a step further, because I deconstruct my sets. When I watch it, I, I listen to them, I, I tear them apart, I, I go through it. I'm sure you do the same with some of yours as well. Do you ever do that step with yourself where you listen to it without the audio? I do,
0: yeah. Sometimes I'll I'll watch my own sets. Um and now it's even easier like with uh you know with cell phones a lot of times, right? Like things yeah. come on and you have you have to press it to get the audio going. Um so sometimes now it happens by accident. But yeah, I, I would do that. Um yeah, I, I almost, you know, in the beginning I found myself uh and maybe again this was like my jazz background of kind of like trying to find ways to flip things on their ear. Mm-hmm. uh to to deconstruct them and then put them back together um i would uh like take the the jokes that i had written and i would as an exercise say um okay how would sam kinnison deliver this joke how would uh jerry seinfeld deliver this joke how would uh joe rivers wh- whoever it was you know like red fox like just think of the because these are such singular voices Mm -hmm. uh you know maybe I could discover uh something in it uh because these people have so mastered their voices and their instrument maybe I could find a new beat in it by delivering it like you know the way uh Richard Pryor would or, or George Carlin you know like so deliver that you know my material um in their voice, or Stephen Wright, right? So somebody on the other side of the spectrum who's kind of contained, deadpan, um, dry. So yeah, I I found those kinds of things helpful too uh, in finding my own voice.
1: Now, you're talking a lot about process and you've talked about deconstructing, you said you talked about the hours spent writing. In, you know, just balance, how much would you say the work off stage to the work on stage. Is there a ratio for you? Like I know for me, if I'm doing an hour, you know, if I do four hours of stage time this week, I've probably done about 20 hours of prep off stage before I got on, you know, do do you have a balance that works for you?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, I think it's almost like, um, a series of, of different, um, you know, it, it, there's like different compartments that you're bringing to the stage. So one is, like you said, the writing and the amount of time that you spend writing and get, getting the material the way you want it. Then there's the uh, performing it, you know, which is a totally different thing. And you can find moments in there that were not on the page or, or were not like what you expected. Something just comes to you. Or, or, or like you said earlier, like a, uh, a physical accent, Uh, for me like i don't sit down and write like here is where i turn the jump rope or whatever that usually comes out in the performance um and i always say too like if they're laughing it's really the crowd giving you permission they're saying we're with you you know they're, they're giving you permission to keep keep going with that like so that was something i learned too like don't get off the laugh so quickly if something physical can extend it or accent it um but to your question uh, the thing that I think sometimes gets neglected that is an important component, maybe the most important component, is how are you living your life? You know, uh, what are you uh, how are you taking care of yourself mentally, physically? Uh, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are your art? What is your artistic diet? Um, you know, are you allowing yourself to be inspired by life, by other artists, by other disciplines? Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, like when you arrive on stage, um, you're bringing all of that with you, you know, you're not just arriving like and flipping a switch and and you become a comedian, uh, or a person, you know, you're, all of that informs what you bring to the stage. So to me, that's important, you know, just first of all, as a human being, to have a, a life that has uh, some shape and some, uh, you know, curiosity and, and um, interests. Uh, but also, you know, it has the added benefit that it uh, it infuses your performance with uh, a point of view and, and uh, conviction behind what you're saying. And, you know, so all of that type of stuff. So I think the life that you live off stage. You know, it's a rather simple idea and and probably evident, uh, but you know all of the things that you're doing off stage really uh, imbue your your performance with uh, all the layers that make you who you are.
1: Yeah, I I love that. One of the things I adore about watching you work is you're not afraid to show your intelligence. You're not afraid to bring your your references, your education level on stage your opinions on stage. We've had conversations in the back of clubs where we've been watching a, a particular performer who's dumbing it down for the, for the crowd, to just put it that as nicely as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know it's a pet peeve for me and it seemed to be a pet peeve for you in that conversation. Why do you think so many comics are afraid to show their intelligence or afraid to show the full depth and breadth of their humanity?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, it, it goes back to what I was just saying that uh, they they don't really have a conviction. Either they don't have a conviction behind what they're saying or they do have a conviction and they don't want to share that with a crowd uh, because they feel as though it might divide the crowd or you know, they'll lose a portion of the crowd or whatever, you know, anytime that I kind of delve into something socio-political or, you know, social commentary, I've thought about it so much off stage that I know exactly how I feel. And, you know, it, you develop the muscle of sharing those things on stage because that's a different muscle than just knowing how you feel about something, making it funny. is, you know, that's, that's another step, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, maybe some people, um, you almost have to like have done like the hours of debate, uh, if not outright debate with, uh, with people, you, you have to have done your homework. Um, you know, when it comes to, I always say like you're hitting a smaller target when it's something political or something, you know, social commentary, you're hitting a smaller target uh, than if you're just talking about dating or you know, going to the gym, those things have a pretty wide target, you're not going to offend anyone, most likely. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it probably just has to do with that for for some people that, um, you know, it's an easy it's an easier road when you when you play it safe, you know, and, and that's different for everyone. Some people are just drawn to, uh, you know, silliness or whatever. It's, it's, it's your personality, whatever you're into.
1: Now I want to talk a little bit about the political side because you approach politics in a much more unique way than I've seen other comics approach it on stage. Um, Most comics go up there and they are very partisan when they're talking about politics, both left and right. My side's right, your side's wrong. You don't attack it as a political issue. You tend to attack these topics as human rights issues and frame it in right versus wrong as opposed to left versus right was was that a conscious choice in your writing or was that again just how you work as a human being uh, probably more the
0: latter that, that's kind of how I'm wired mm-hmm. um, for starters but then as far as for comedy you know you know I, I I like a good debate and stuff like that but but on stage it's not really the place for it you know not that I I don't mind being prickly or, or kind of upsetting people again. Once I know how I feel and and I Mm -hmm. have done enough work and reflection and had discussions with other people, you know, uh, because again, the target is smaller when you're talking about these things. Uh, So I have to feel confident in order to do it. But once I feel confident um, then I don't have any trouble and I'm not trying to get an applause break. I'm not trying to, uh, say, aren't these people stupid? Uh, I'm just trying to, you know, there's different kinds of laughs, right? So there's like the, the laugh where the whole room's laughing and there's not, there's no heaviness to it. And then there's a laugh where there is a heaviness in the room and people are maybe a little uncomfortable and they're leaning in and like, figuring out, like, where's he going with this, you know, uh, and then there's a payoff to that, too. So, you know, there's different colors and different payoffs to uh, to the way that you can explore things. But, like I said, I, I'm not trying to be a... Um, I'm not trying to get applause breaks. That's not, that's not really interesting to me. Um, yeah, I'm trying to do it because, you know, you know how it is as a comedian. We come up through, especially in New York, you know, we're, we're coming up through not only New York City, but uh, Long Island, New Jersey. We're coming through, you know, if not uh, divided rooms, rooms that skew uh, red. So, like, for me, I almost have to, like, bulletproof it so that, um, you know, that I can tell these jokes. You know, I'm not performing in front of, like, 10,000 people that are there to see me. Uh, So I – especially when you're coming up. So you have to figure out ways – to, you know, again, I don't care if people like disagree with my ideology, but I don't want it to be in such a way that it's like heavy handed and doesn't have a comedic payoff.
1: Now, I want to talk a little bit more about politics, because you, I was around before you started and I got to watch you from, you know, a young comic to to what you've become now. Mm -hmm. And you seem to make a shift in talking politics you would always dabble a little bit. I remember some of the stuff you were doing post 9-11, which was incredibly funny. Um, but your passion seemed to get to grow, to, to talk about political things and talk about activism around the time of Occupy Wall Street. Um, is it you grew into your confidence? Is it you finally couldn't hold back any longer? Because you always had the muscle to do it, but you, you started flexing that muscle more at that point. What changed
0: yeah I think it was you know a, a gradual process of uh, growing up and becoming the man that I was becoming the person the comedian um, yeah because <clears throat> when you're starting to uh, you know as a young man coming out of college and stuff uh, you know, at least for me, I wasn't terribly engaged with the world, you know. I would say, you know, I was raised in like a, a left-leaning household, a uh, progressive household. But as far as like politics and stuff, it wasn't like those were the kinds of things that I really was passionate enough to bring up on stage. Um, you know, occasionally, like you said, I, it, it might find its way into the act one way or another. I would say that 9/11 was was a shift point for me, uh, as it was for many people, just in terms of like, you know, asking more questions, thinking about uh, the world. You know, uh, it kind of uh, there was such a obviously a, a gravitas to that that, um, you know, just to continue doing what you were doing pre-9/11 almost felt hollow. So you you had to kind of Uh, If you didn't bring it to the stage, at least you were reflecting on these things. Um, And then, yeah, like you said earlier, uh, getting involved in activism, uh, both like organizing the comedians uh, and then uh, Occupy Wall Street, all of these things for me are intertwined. Um, Mm -hmm. And and in a way, kind of go back to um, one of the first questions you asked about relationship, you know? So you know, whether it is the um, micro relationship of, of one-on-one, uh, a club owner, uh, a fellow comic, whatever it is, uh, or the macro relationship of citizen to government or to the system. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of inclined to ask questions uh, or to dialogue um, and say, you know, I find this problematic. Uh, and as a comedian, uh, to do so in a way that, that lands, you know, uh, as, as a joke.
1: You know, and for me, one of the things that I love watching most about you is the amount of respect that you bring to both sides of an issue when you talk about it. You don't just, these people are dumb, they're stupid. You know, you get your point across. You get your point across that you think they're wrong, but you get your point across in a way that allows people humanity and dignity. Um, and you also do that offstage. I remember, you know, uh, talking to you, Russ with the Comedy Coalition, and you guys disagreed with a point I made and, and you talked it out with me. And, you know, Russ was a little more vocal um, <laughs> in his feelings, but you, you were always the type that approaches that. It, now, again, it's, you know, kudos to not only you as a person, but your parents for bringing you up this way and, and giving you that, that ability, but it's so easy to just point fingers on stage. It's so easy when you're behind a a mic and a light to just go, I'm right and you're wrong. Yet you've avoided that. And, and, you know, how did you avoid it is the first thing because most comments don't, you know, and and it's become a cornerstone. I watched a stay at home comedian and even there, you know, with some of the comments that were popping up, your, the amount of respect that you always show people with a differing viewpoint in your comedy and in your personal life is staggering, you know. And I think it helps to make you a better comic. So, how are you able to cultivate that?
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, I would say that um, my parents uh, were, were key in that. You know, my parents are are two of the most loving, respect uh, respectful people that I, that I know and genuinely care about people. And, um, yeah, so they, that was, uh, something that was instilled in myself and my, my four siblings. So, um, you know, I, and what, I'll tell you what, when I fail at those things, as I have uh, many times, uh, and specifically in comedy, when I fail at that, or, you know, I, I get into it with an audience member or I, um, you know, I lose it or, you know, those sets where things don't go the way you want. I, I drive home or, or get on the subway uh, feeling um, disappointed in myself, you know, uh, unless it was unavoidable. But, but the, the times that I, I had a hand in it, uh, I feel uh, really disappointed, you know. So over the years, you know, you, you kind of um, I think I've kind of learned like how to uh, avoid that, you know, and to come with a spirit of, I guess, love, uh, but, but certainly of accept, of accepting that, you know, not everybody's going to feel the way I do. Uh, but again, if I know how I feel, um, I think there's value in that, you know, because especially in this time where, uh, there's, it's almost a time of, of real kind of a wishy-washy. Um, people are calculating, yeah. um, you know, uh, is it worth saying this or that? Is it worth getting involved, you know, whether it's Black Lives Matter or anything else? Is it worth um, – it's, it's easier to stay quiet, right? So yeah. for me, uh, you know, there is a value in kind of unequivocally – saying like, yeah, this is what I, this is what I think. And not that I'm going to shit on whoever disagrees. Uh, You know, I don't like to be combative unless I think the situation calls for it. If someone is being hurtful directly or intentionally, uh, I I have no problem asserting how I feel in that kind of situation. But I don't want to be the one to initiate like a combative uh, dynamic, you know, because I don't think it ha- I don't think it has to be combative just because you are talking about something that you're passionate about because as you said earlier you know uh like we're all human beings and like we all have people even in our families who we literally love that we disagree with so yeah. um yeah yeah I don't think it has to be this um this absolute kind of polarization of uh, separating into camps.
1: Yeah, what what I've always enjoyed about you when I watch you talk to people who have a different point of view is you listen. It's like you're you're waiting for them to say something that will change your mind. You know, and, and that's, I think that curiosity, that speaks to your curiosity as a comic, which is one of the key components I think you need to be a comic. You have to want to know more than you know right now. Yeah,
0: I mean, is there a better moment in life than finding out you didn't know something or finding out you were wrong? I mean, it's a little humiliating at times, but but there is like something beautiful about like, oh, wow, I I didn't uh, I didn't see that. Right. You know, like I didn't have enough perspective. You know, that's like a really kind of, um, you know, graceful moment. Great. You know, is that the right word? Yeah. It's a moment of grace that that you kind of uh, someone shows you something that you were missing.
1: Yeah. Now, I want to talk specifically about your relationship with comics. Because down to a man, whenever I teach a a comedy class and I send students to go watch you because you're one of the comics I send, and they go find out what Ted's playing and go watch them. They go watch them. And they go and they come back and two things happen. One, they tell me I was right and they learned so much watching you. But the number two thing is they go, so I approached him after the show and he talked to me for 10 minutes and he gave me so much advice and you're so open talking to new comics where well, you don't have to be. Let's, let's be a little bit honest here. You've done, you've done your specials. You you've been on the late night shows. You're touring a place like Madison square garden and, and uh, radio city musical. I hope that gig still happens for you. Um, all of these things that, that you're doing. So you've paid your time in the trenches. You could just, you know, pack up and go to the next club like so many other comics do, but yet you still take the time to talk to the younger comics and and to give them advice. Is there a reason why?
0: Well, I mean, one would just be basic kind of humanity and being, being kind to to people. Uh, Two would be, I, I love comedians. I love comedy. So, uh, as I'm sure, you know, you, you recognize yourself in in someone who's just starting out and you Mm -hmm. can kind of see, uh, their eagerness or their, their, um, desire to, you know, to kind of get better. Um, so yeah, I, I, love talking comedy. So if I'm able, if I, you know, if I'm not running home for some reason, uh, I'm always happy to, uh, to share a little wisdom. And, and the, the, the last thing would be that people did that for me. You know, uh, I remember, you know, like David Tell giving me some kind words when I was starting out and, you know, giving me uh, a you know, a compliment and saying that he liked something I did. And, you know, you know how that is, that something like that can keep you, you bu- uh, buoyed for, you know, for a year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like for me, it's a common, and, and maybe also my teaching background, uh, I, I like to impart uh, whatever knowledge I've accumulated.
1: All right. I, I want to talk about knowledge you've accumulated because you did something that I view as probably the most remarkable thing I've seen a stand-up do. During this pandemic, <clears throat> you turned around and released a comedy album uh, that everyone should go and watch on YouTube right now you get a chance. Um, in pandemic, stay-at-home comedian. Recorded, no audience, um, didn't even try and hide the fact that it was an Instagram show and you kept it vertical and not horizontal. I mean, everything everyone tells you for your entire career, don't do this. And you did it and did it successfully. What was, you know, A, that takes you understanding your audience. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, about knowing your audience because you do between your podcast and what you're doing online. But it also takes, too, an amount of craftsmanship in the way you constructed that. And, you know, you had some particularly heavy moments with some real human moments. You're bit about, you know, trying to get your, your baby to nap because your wife and I want to have, you know, just a moment to watch the last few minutes of Tiger King straight down to moments of silliness where you're you're doing Cat Stevens songs. You know, it, it it's all there and it's blended and it's... Artistically and expertly blended. How much thought did you put into that? Did that just develop? Bring the thought process behind that because that's absolute genius. Well, I really appreciate that. That was like one of those um,
0: unplanned, kind of fun moments of inspiration, uh, you know, because as the pandemic started and the stage was eliminated as a, as a possibility for, for all of us comedians and performers um, like so many people I, I took to live streaming, uh, on, on Instagram and, uh, you know, because of the heaviness of the, especially the early stages of the pandemic and everything was so new and so bizarre and so uncertain. Um, you know, I, I think it was kind of a lot of things coalesced for me. Like I've, I had been podcasting for a year and a half. I'd, I've been a standup for for many years, uh, and and live streaming as well has become uh, another outlet. So, I just I felt like I had all of the tools I needed to process these things in real time. So when I started doing it, it wasn't with the goal of of making a special. You know, it was really just a chance to. Uh, still perform, and connect with people. But as I was doing it on a nightly basis, I started to see in the comments, and that was the other kind of cool thing, uh, despite the fact that I wasn't looking out at an audience, I was seeing a a steady stream of comments. Um, People would say, you know, hello from Chile, hello from Ukraine, hello from New Zealand, Australia, uh, Indonesia. And there was something night after night that, like was kind of a uh, heartwarming and um, you know a sense of like being bound together through this pandemic that was hitting everywhere um, and then I said to my you know the Matthew Weiss uh, has directed my specials and and, and uh, ed- edits my podcast uh, so we collaborate on a lot of stuff so I asked Matthew I said you know I think if we take the best moments of these live streams, I had done maybe, I don't know, 14, 18 of them, uh, you know, hours and hours of stuff. I said, I, I think, there, you know, if we kind of make a, uh, a kind of a tongue in cheek comedy special, because obviously it has none of the bells and whistles of, of a comedy special. But I think, you know, I think this has merit uh beyond the ephemeral nature of, of live streaming. Because you know, especially with Instagram, uh it's there for 24 hours and then it's gone. But I, I was recording them so that I, I had the the library. Uh and then Matthew put it together and uh kind of stylized it a bit. And um the next thing I knew the New York Times was was writing about there was a big write up in the Times about it. So uh it was just another lesson that, like, in this bizarre business where, you you know, you're doing stuff for, for decades, uh, this thing that I shot in my apartment on my phone was what the New York Times wrote about.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and two things that I really loved about it. Number one was it was a hopeful tone. There, was, there wasn't any of the, my God, the world is ending because of Corona. You know, you, you kept it to a hopeful tone. And two what i really enjoyed about it is you did bits you were doing stuff about your kid you were doing you know stuff about being home you were doing stuff uh, about the world and and the state of what we're in but it wasn't all corona all the time which is what on zoom shows you're tending to get right now Mm -hmm. you made conscious choices to go beyond and i think that's part of what makes you special as a performer you you acknowledge yeah, and you certainly acknowledge that this was done in pandemic and and that you wished you were outside, but you didn't harp on it. You found the positive to it. And with so many comics structuring their act of, you know, you could almost take the core phrase of most comics acts as, this sucks, here's why. And mm-hmm. you don't do that. You have a much more positive approach. You know, um, was it always that way? Did you start out with the typical comic mindset and then evolve how did that come about for you? That's an interesting
0: point, you know, and, and I think there is kind of a pervasive um, pessimism because pessimism becomes cool and, uh, and hopefulness can be seen as like uh, uncool or, or Pollyannish. Um, yeah, so I, I would say by nature, I, I, I'm an optimist. And it's strange because in a way, I think like anyone who endeavors to do standup, it's such an optimistic act to, to get up in these kind of dire situations all the time and, and, and share your thoughts, you know, like it's a very optimistic act uh, in and of itself. But yeah, you know, I think, I think that is my core and that kind of um, informs so much of, you know, I'm not, even though my last special was called Senior Class of Earth, uh, it, it, it was kind of a wink towards all the, the doom and gloom and the, the situations sure. we find ourselves in. Um, but yeah, it's almost, I think about the, the blues a lot. The, you know, the blues uh, of being like, take. You know, I think comedy and the blues are, are similar in that you take something that is um, problematic or disappointing or, or you know, real gut-wrenching and you try to turn it into uh, something that you're going to laugh at or something that maybe can be a joyous experience.
1: So I want to talk about, because you've literally done everything that every stand-up wants to do. I mean, you check all the boxes. Performed internationally, checked. Performed in, you know, large-scale arenas, checked. You know, done late-night spots, checked. You know, you're on special... You've checked all the boxes. Um, Theater tours now with Jim Gaffigan that you're doing a lot of. How's the prep different for you? How's the prep different when you're gearing up for a late night spot as opposed to when you know you're going to do a full length special? You know, is your process of preparing for those things differently?
0: Um, A little bit because now I kind of trust myself and i trust you know i've done these things before so there's there's fewer unknowns you know there's fewer like variables of things that i haven't experienced before and even if something does come up you know you're more equipped to kind of roll with it or even see if you can turn it into uh, a positive you know so uh but when you're starting yeah you're kind of so uh focused and um you know, you almost focused to the point that you can't uh, enjoy the process, you know. Um, and that it, that's, you know, it's a natural thing, of course, when you're when you're beginning something, you're in your teens or 20s, uh, whenever people begin. Uh, but for me, it was, you know, in my uh, early 20s, I was beginning, you know, so I think just as a human being, you have less tools in your toolbox of how to cope with whatever comes up, let alone, you know, performing experience. So now I'm I'm just much more able to enjoy whether I'm, you know, opening for gym somewhere. And a lot of times it'll be at an NBA arena, an NHL arena, uh, you know, 10,000 people, 12,000 people. uh, You know, but it's funny how over time, like walking to that stage now is really, not different than when i was walking up to the comic strip stage you know there there there's that nerves and excitement but um but i i know you know i know what i'm doing so it's not uh i'm not like paralyzed by fear or anything
1: now that that phrase i know what i'm doing that is a benchmark for all comics because we go on stage and and like most comics start with imitation they try and sound like a comedian and then eventually develop your own voice. But there there seems to be, as I'm having these conversations with comics, that moment where they know, they they knew that they could do this. They They knew they had the skills to do this. Do you remember when that was for you? When you felt comfortable like, oh, I got this? Yeah,
0: you know, I would say it was pretty early on because again, I had done so much performing whether it was acting, uh, I did a lot of musical theater, uh, I played the piano, so I was, you know, I, I played the piano for in bands or in like, you know, school theater groups and stuff. So performing in public was not a hurdle for me. Uh, so, you know, once I kind of got an act together and wrote some jokes, um, I would say within the first year or so, like I felt like, I think, you know, I think I, I can do this, you know? Like I was getting laughs and, um, you know, I think I was, I was figuring it out still, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I felt confident that I, that I could do it. You know, I, I would say maybe, I mean, who knows for sure, but I, I do remember like maybe 10 years in feeling like, um, because there's a difference between getting laughs and being a competent performer, a competent comedian. And kind of knowing who you are, knowing your craft, I- again, like I said, having been through a bunch of experiences, whether it's doing a festival or being on television or all the things that we do, um, you know, you have enough of those accumulated, then you, uh, it kind of harkens back to what I said earlier about like, that's, that's what you're bringing on stage with you. You're bringing all of that so that when you set foot on stage, you're, and it's not even conscious, you're, commuti- you're communicating to the crowd, I know what I'm doing, I've, I've been here before.
1: Yeah. So for me, and I don't know if you had the same experience, I wouldn't be where I am in my career if I didn't have a lot of veteran performers reach back and, and fill in holes in my education, point out things that I should have seen. Um, I can remember you know, coming off stage at the comic strip And Barry Berry, who at that time was one of the big acts there, grabbed me and won. You wrote this joke wrong. Let me show you how to do it right. You know, and, you know, showing me elements of craft that I might not have otherwise known. Who was some of those comics early in your career that kind of extended themselves and and showed you some of the pieces that were missing for you?
0: Well, the first guy who comes to mind is a, a, a comic who was kind of a legend on Long Island scene. His name was Jim Myers. Uh, he, he did a character, Klaus Meyers, where yeah. he would do, like, the first, I don't know, the first five or ten minutes of his act as, a, as kind of a German mm-hmm. character. And then he would shift uh, and, like, let the cr- crowd know. I mean, he was such a great mimic, too. He, like, you know, people didn't know. Uh, and then he would shift and say, no, I'm just, you know, I'm Jim Myers actually. And, you know, like, he would kind of uh, take the veil down. But he was somebody that um, was kind of a local legend out on Long Island. When I, I would kind of split my, my time between the New York clubs and the Long Island clubs because I, I grew up in Queens, so I was kind of halfway between both. And when I started in the early 90s, th- there was a thriving comedy scene out on Long Island. There was three or four like legitimate clubs yeah. out there. Uh, so I, I saw Jim, and, um, and he, he came up to me. And said, you know, you've got something unique, you've got something different and introduced me to his manager who became my first manager. Uh, So that was like one of the biggest things just in terms of like, you know, I was just kicking around open mics and not really knowing even what I was doing in terms of I didn't have a plan of of the business, but he opened up the business for me in terms of that. Um, And then, you know, like. I would say touring with other people like um, I was touring with uh, Lewis Black for a while, Craig Ferguson, uh, Louis C.K., um, which obviously, you know, things have changed since then. So I, I look at it a little through a different lens because I, I realize, you know, being uh, a male uh, that perhaps I, I didn't have uh, an experience that other people might have. Yeah. Um, So that was disappointing. But, uh, but having said that, all of those people taught me and, and Jim Gaffigan, obviously in recent years, uh, these guys taught me, uh, like what the next level looked like in terms of uh, fame, having a fan base, uh, doing your own show, you know, all of them had their own shows. Um, So yeah, it, it was like, In comedy, you almost kind of fall into these different apprenticeships where you don't even necessarily realize it, but you're doing an apprenticeship, you know, like with Jim where I'm watching him do an hour, hour and 10 in front of an arena, you know, uh, or, um, you know, even just the time off stage talking to Craig Ferguson um, and a guy who had a nightly talk show for years. Uh, so you just glean so much about life and about the business. Um, so, yeah, I feel fortunate that I, that I got to learn from all those people.
1: All right. Now let's, um let's talk about balance because you've also been so balanced in terms of, of having a life, you know, um, wife, kid, you know, you know, not a ton of scandals. You're not one of those guys that was out partying until six in the morning, you know, I think at the time I've known you, I've had three wives, and you're on wife number one, you know what I mean? So you've always had balance as a human being. Does that help you with your comedy?
0: It's interesting you use that word, because that's, that's a word that, that is important to me and, and has kind of been a through line in my life. Um, I think part, part of it uh, comes from the fact that I did have uh, members of my family with mental illness, so that there was some imbalance, uh, so that maybe I took on the role at times of being the balanced one. Um, so I think maybe part of it is who I am. Part of it is kind of learned survival behaviors. Um, but I think it's healthy in, in general to have balance. Um, and it's not really encouraged in uh, in comedy or in no. the art, you know, like, or you, you can have this rock and roll lifestyle where you're drinking every night and uh, you know, you, you, try to hook up with this person or that person. Um, but yeah, like, I guess the, the balance side of me, like, you know, when I was first starting to headline, I fell into a little bit of the traps of like drinking every night or going out with the wait staff and doing shots and stuff. But I kind of quickly realized that that was uh, not for me and it was kind of imbalanced and, and not, um, not ultimately helping me do the things I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it kind of almost speaks to what I said earlier about the life that you live and that's going to inform like what you bring to the stage. So, um, balance is important to me. Uh, and if I feel imbalanced in any way over the years, I I've become pretty attuned to knowing, uh, you know, like this, you know, you're kind of like, um, you're kind of off track, you know, no, no matter what it is, if it's physically, if it's just the way I'm living, the things I'm doing, I'm pretty attuned to kind of self-correcting or now, you know, having a spouse that helps too, if, if she sees it in me too.
1: Um,
0: yeah, so it, I think balance is uh, is very important.
1: Beautiful. Time is flying by and I only got time for one more question because I did promise I'd get you off at a certain time. So I want to ask, we've, we both have the benefit Of being able to look back over long careers. What do you wish you would have known starting out that you learned during your journey? I think
0: the thing that it took me a few years to realize, and I think this was specific to the fact that I I grew up in New York, Mm -hmm. in Queens, Uh, I didn't move here. So I had my family, I had my circle of friends dating back to even childhood friends that I was still still in contact with. So when I first started in comedy, I was very much like a punch the clock, kind of go do my set and get the hell out. Like I wasn't, uh, you know, I think again, because, because of the fact that I was from here, I, I didn't look at it as like a social scene. Uh, it, it almost took me five, seven, eight years to realize like, oh, these are my friends. These are my co-workers. These are people that I'm going to be kind of journeying through life with, you know, uh, because in the beginning, like I said, it was more like just do my set. And maybe part of it was like um, not wanting to, uh, you know, like being maybe shy or nervous in the, in the beginning, like because you walk into a club and you see all the, the veteran comics and you see, you know, so uh, kind of like maybe like a meekness of like, I'll just do my set and get out. Um, yeah, so it it took me years to realize, like, I'm part of a community, you know, like, and uh, the friendships that you have, and and the people that you start with, are really going to be part of your life journey, you know, so I I did figure that out eventually, but maybe I wish I had, uh, maybe, you know, real, again, I, I don't, I don't. Blame myself, myself, or younger comics, because when you're when you're trying to figure out how to do stand-up, your mind is so like full already, and you're you're so like overactive just trying to like, you know, even just walking into a comedy club when you're first yeah. start is such a weird. You're like, am I even like? Do I even belong? Here? Like, I'm a comedian. Um, so yeah, there's a lot uh, to to kind of parse through when you're starting. But uh, the one thing that I that I do wish maybe had occurred to me a little earlier is that these are my people and my friends and we're you know we're we're starting a journey together.
1: Yeah. Well, it's great, and thank you for always being so positive. You know, not only on stage but off stage as well. Um, comics can learn so much, not just about comedy from you, but just in terms of a good way to live your life. And, and it's always nice when I get to point to somebody. Who's a good human being and go? He's also amazingly funny, you know. That's that's a, a nice combination. We there's so much more. I would love to talk to you about at a future date. I want to talk to you about the web series that that you did, uh, the Teachers Lounge. I want to talk to you about uh, some of your specials because there's some specific learning moments. I hope you'll be my guest in a future episode again. I will um, too. Yeah. And uh, until then, where can people find you? Where would you like them to go to to follow you?
0: People can follow me on social media at Ted Alexandro. And I actually have a new album and special coming out this Thursday called Cut Up. Uh, So people can find that. It'll be posted on my Instagram, Twitter, uh, tedalexandro.com. But that is coming out. It's called Cut Up.
1: You know, by the time this airs, it'll, you know, we'll be able to post all the links for it too. So great talking to you and have a great time. And I can't wait to see you back on the stage and in a club.
0: I appreciate it, Jim. I always love talking to you and always love watching you work as well.
1: Oh, thank you so much. All right. And we will be back shortly. There is just so much we can learn from Ted. So many things that he touched on, so many elements of craft, to have that dedication to not only being, you know, proficient as a comedian, but also to marry your own personal voice, your own political voice, and to try and do more with your comedy than just entertain. That's something we can all learn from. We're going to be back next week, and we're going to have another great episode in the interim. If you want to catch up on past episodes, you can go to our YouTube page. They're archived over there. Um, you could also download the podcast, and you can listen to all the previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts from. But while you're there, please leave us uh, a comment and a review. That would be so helpful to us. Uh, on behalf of everybody involved in today's podcast, Mr. Ted Alexandro, Uh, the creative team here at New Media Comedy, and myself, Jim Andrinos. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. This has been a New Media Comedy Worldwide production.